0: You shall be careful to do, that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land that the Lord swore to give to your fathers. And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothing did not wear out on you, and your foot did not swell these forty years. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, the Lord your God disciplines you. So you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God by walking in his ways and by fearing him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks, of water, of fountains and springs, flowing out in the valleys and the hills, and a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive trees and honey, a land in which you will eat bread without scarcity, in which you will lack nothing, a land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills you can dig copper. And you shall eat and be full. And you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. But take care lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes which I command you today lest when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them and when your herds and flocks multiply and your silver and gold is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied then your heart be lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery who led you through the great and terrifying wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there was no water who brought you water out of the flinty rock who fed you in the wilderness with manna that your fathers did not know that he might humble you and test you to do you good in the end beware lest you say in your heart my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you power to get wealth, that He may confirm His covenant that He swore to your fathers as it is this day. And if you forget the Lord your God and go after other gods and serve them and worship them, I solemnly warn you today that you shall surely perish. like the nations that the Lord makes to perish before you, so shall you perish, because you would not obey the voice of the Lord your God. Let's pray to the Lord together this morning. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning and we ask you boldly, understanding at least part of the ramifications of what it means, but Lord, we come and ask boldly that you would search our hearts, that you would search them with your Holy Spirit, that God, if we are not your children truly, that you would bring conviction and that you would draw us to the Father that today we might surely be saved and secured in your kingdom. I pray, Father, for those of us who who have the good fruit of salvation but woven around it are the thorns of this world that today, O Lord, you would again convict us and bring us to repentance that we might rip the thorns out by the root. Lord, our prayer is, is that our hearts would be holy and entirely yours given over to you, not to wealth, not to success, not to prosperity, not to ourselves, but to you. And so Father, we come and we ask that Lord, you do that work in us this morning. We ask these things now in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Several years ago, we had a, a, family, a family funeral. And it was a particularly young man in our family that had passed away. And you know how families do at funerals. Everybody gathers around and everybody's talking, right? And everybody's talking about the person. And they're talking about the person's life. And I remember at this particular funeral that there was a, a, very, uh, a very particular conversation that was, was happening. And everybody was basically saying the same thing. What a wasted life. What a wasted life. He had so much potential, they would say. He could have done anything that he wanted to do, they would say. He could have been a good dad. He, he could have made a good living. He could have built a good life. But he made poor decisions after poor decisions. And it didn't matter what we would say to him or how we would try to correct him or how we would try to help him. He just, he just wouldn't listen. What, what a wasted life. He had so much potential. He could, have, he could have done so many wonderful things with his life. You've probably been at funerals like that or And if your family isn't as bold to to say it out loud, you at least thought it. And it makes you think, what does it mean to have a wasted life? What does it mean to have a wasted life? What does it mean to come at the end of your life, whether it's at 30 or at 50 or at 70 or or at 100? What does it mean to come to the end of your life and to realize that your life has been wasted? I think very often the way that we do that is we base it on success and on influence and on prosperity. That we have a particularly American way of accounting for the sake of our lives that enables us to identify whether someone has lived a life well or someone has lived a life not so well. Whether someone has been a person of significance or that they are a person of total and utter insignificance that we would come to, the, to a person who, who has made a good living and lives in a nice house and, and has a big family and has had great influence in the community and great, great power in their company or in their business or, or in the, the political arena or maybe even the athletic arena, whatever is significant to you. And we come to the end and we say, that is a person that realized their potential. That is a person that realized their potential. That is a person that lived their life well. That is a person that lived a life that counted, a life that was significant, a life that mattered. But I fear that what we don't realize is that very often success has a way of camouflaging a meaningless life as though it was actually meaningful. That that success has a way of giving the appearance of meaningfulness To a life that may actually be meaningless. And that's the concern that God has for his children of Israel while they're in the wilderness. Preparing to go into the promised land here in Deuteronomy chapter 8. And particularly the last half of that passage. They're about to come into prosperity and to wealth. They're about to have all of their dreams realized. They're about to have all of their prayers answered. They're going to they're gonna have affluence. They're going to have influence. They're going to have political power. They're going to have uh, all of the, the food that they can eat and all of the, the wine that they can drink and all of the parties that they can have. By the way, you ever just read the Bible and realize how much of the Bible is a party? There's a lot of partying that happens in the Bible, right? And so they're going to have all the parties that they can have and all the feasts that they can have and so God says but my concern is my concern is is that you're going to think that those are the things that matter that you're going to come into the prosperity, the prosperity of the promised land and coming into the prosperity of the promised land that you're going to come under the delusion that what matters is the house that you live in, what, that what matters is that there is copper in the ground or, or that the vineyards are filled with the vines and that you're going to forget the Lord. And so he gives a series of warnings to them and, and y'all, it is a good series of warnings to us We live in the most prosperous country in the history of the world. Our accounting of what is rich and what is poor is something that is foreign to 90% of the world. And so it's important that we, that we wrestle with these same warnings that God gives to the children of Israel that we might not ourselves fall into the same traps that they are prone to fall into. And so, what I want you to see are three different warnings. And the first of those warnings is that you should not be too easily satisfied. Don't be too easily satisfied. You'll see what he says there in verses 11 and 14. He kind of bookends it in a similar language. He says in verse 11, Take care lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes, which I command you today. Then your heart be lifted up and you forget. The Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. The picture here is something that's totally different than the picture that we saw last week, isn't it? You remember what we said last week? I showed you how the heat of the wilderness brings trials into our life. And the heat of those trials begins to reveal our hearts. Well, in this passage, in the the second half, we see something completely different. We don't see the heat of the wilderness. We see the rain Of the Promised Land, and you can imagine that living, being in a in a place that is a desert community, in in a place that is uh, that is very parched, very often to get rain was relief. To get rain was the opportunity for prosperity. To get to get rain was the opportunity to grow crops and to, to be prosperous. And the people that had the rain, the people that had water, they were the they were the people that could flourish. And so it's it's a contrast, right? But just like the heat. The rain falls on the same hearts. And here's the thing that might surprise us. What many of us believe is we believe that if our lives would just get easier, if our health would improve, if the prayers would be answered, the particular prayers that we're asking would be answered, if, if our savings account was a little bit fat, if, a, if another stimulus check would, would come through, if, if our uh, family could come together in the way that we want our family to come together, we would think that at that point, we would have good fruit in our lives. What we would say is, God, of course I'm bitter. Of course I'm angry. Of course there's there's impatience in my life. Of course there's, there's grumbling in my life. Of course there's difficulty in my life. Look at how awful and wretched my life is. But do you know what the rains of the promised land prove? Do you know what the warnings that the Lord gives knowing the heart of man proves? Circumstances don't change your heart. Circumstances don't change your heart. Y'all, thorns grow in the rain of the promised land just like they grow in the, in the trials of the wilderness, in the heat of the wilderness. That, that, that your heart is able to reveal to reveal bad fruit and a bad root in the same way in the promised land, maybe even more so than it is in the trials and under the, the glaring heat. Of the wilderness. It just reveals it in a different way. It reveals what's in your heart in a different way. Remember what we said about trials? Trials reveal your heart because they squeeze you, right? They, they squeeze you and they, they, just, they see what comes out. They, they, they bring in like a vice. They, they clamp down and they clamp down and they squeeze and they squeeze more and more to, to eventually determine that out of the overflow of your heart, out of the overflow of who you are, comes out these words, comes out these actions, comes out the rest of your life. But prosperity, success, success reveals your heart in an entirely different way. Success affords you the freedom, you see. Success affords you the freedom to be who you want to be. Success affords you the freedom to buy what you want to buy, to do what you want to do, to go where you want to go, to go after what you actually desire success in other words sets you free to be you whether that's good or whether that's bad you you can think of it like this you can think of it kind of like a a college student that gets that gets some freedom for the very first time right yeah I don't know about y'all but like I I have an eight-year-old in my house is as old as it gets and I'll be honest with you that's already what terrifies me that's already what I'm what I'm scared about because we all know what happens so often, don't we? Not every time. I, I want you to hear me. that. Like that, that, is not norm, that is not the standard. That is not what, you, you are not compelled to have to do that. But so often, so often, you get out from under mom and dad's room for the first time, and what happens? You end up at the frat party at 2 a.m., 3 a.m. You end up being belligerent. You end up doing all of the things and sowing all of these wild oats and doing all of these crazy things. Well, did the freedom change your heart? Did the freedom change who you are? No. The freedom revealed who you are. The, re- the freedom revealed your heart. It revealed what, what makes you tick. It reveals what you already desire. It reveals the rebellion that is in you. reveals the corruption that abides in your own heart. It's just like very often you hear people say something along the lines of money changes people. Y'all, money doesn't change anybody Money reveals who you already are. Money just gives you the ability to do what you would normally do if you had the opportunity. Power. Power doesn't corrupt people. Power reveals corruption. When you have the freedom to do and to use it and to wield it in the way that you see fit. That, that what we have when we experience prosperity and when we experience success is we are now given the freedom and the lack of accountability at times to go and to be and to do and to, to desire and to long and to pursue all the things that we've wanted to do all along. Now, of course, it can be the opposite too, right? It can, it can reveal generosity in you. It, it can reveal... Uh, discipline in you. It can it can reveal self control in you. It can reveal kindness in you. It can reveal compassion in you. It can reveal concern in you. So he begins to point out what the thorns would look like. Look at what he says. He says the first thorn would be to forget the Lord. To forget the Lord. He mentions it twice here. To forget the Lord. That in other words, that you get what you've been praying for, you get what you've been wanting, and you just move on from God. You move on from God. I I have from God what I need to get from God. I have from God what I desire to get from God, whether that's my check, whether that's the family, whether that's the marriage, whether that's my health. I have from God what I need to get from God, and so now there's no need for me to pray. Now there's no need for me to pursue God. God has given me the prosperity of the promised land. When I was in the trials of the wilderness, then I was desperate for the Lord. Then I needed the Lord. Then I prayed for the Lord. But now in the prosperity of the promised land, who needs him? I've got everything that i want i've got everything that i need and so i'm 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 moving on i'm moving on from god another thorn he says here is by not keeping the commandments not keeping the commandments in other words it gets back to that freedom right so so now i have the freedom to do exactly what i want to do i have the prosperity that affords me the opportunity to be who i want to be and do what i want to do and go where i want to go so what am i going to do Am I going to live within the constraints of what God has said is a wise life and a good life and a holy life? Or am I going to satisfy myself? Am I going to indulge myself? Am I going to live out my own whims and my own indulgences? He said, my my fear is, is that not only are you going to forget the Lord, that you're going to forget me in a way that allows you the freedom to go and to be as degenerate as you want to be, to go and to pursue and indulge yourself in all the ways that you want to indulge, that you're going to use the prosperity for evil, not for good that the prosperity is going to reveal the corruption of your heart, that you don't actually desire to please the Lord with your life. Instead, you only desire to please yourself. You only desire to please yourself. He says, and then, then your heart will be lifted up. In other words, another way to say that, your your heart will be haughty. Your heart will become arrogant. Your, Your heart will become proud You'll lift it up and you'll believe that you are better than you actually are, that you are filled with self-importance and, and, and all of the, the different thorns that come with pride and with arrogance and with, with an inflated sense of self and, and ego. And so he says, he, he say, when you come into your life, watch out for the thorns that might grow when you come into the prosperity of I think it's important that we frame up exactly what we mean by success. What do we mean by success? Because as, as Americans, we have a very particular definition of success. And success usually means affluent. Success usually means like CEO. Success means like I'm, I'm the boss. I, I make the best living. I live in the best house. I drive the best car. But you know what? Not all of you even care all that much about those things. I mean, I don't think anybody here would turn it down. But I don't know that that's the greatest temptation for everyone that's here. I think we should frame up success as whatever we were longing for when we were in the trials of the wilderness. In, in other words, that for you, if you're in the wilderness and your health has failed you, and your health has betrayed you, and you feel bad, and, you, and, and the only thing on the front of your mind is I just need to feel better, I just want to be better, I just, I just need to, to, to have more energy, I just need whatever that is. If you, if you become healthy... I think we should, that, that's the kind of success that we're talking about. If, if what you've been longing for is to have a baby and you want a baby and you, you think about a baby and you're, you're begging God for a baby, then all of a sudden the Lord comes through and, and He gives you a baby, that's, that's success that's framed up in, in your eyes. So what you need to understand is that God takes these good things and He intends to bring them as blessings into your life, but our hearts tend to corrupt them in a way that actually springs forth thought. That the blessings aren't bad. It's not bad. It's important that we realize. And that's what gets us to the, to the good fruit. That the, the, the fact that there can be good fruit that comes out of success is proof that success is not the problem. Success is not evil. They were given the promised land as a gift. They were given the promised land by the kindness of God, by the goodness of God, to confirm in their hearts that God is with them and that God is for them and that God has their back. So, so the promised land is not bad. The prosperity is not bad. The money isn't bad. The power isn't bad. Those things aren't bad. The influence isn't bad. What matters is the fruit. What matters is, is what kind of heart does it fall on? Does it fall into a heart with good roots or does it fall into a heart with with bad roots, with corrupt roots? Because what would be the good fruit? If we were were reading this passage, what would be the good? It would be what's not said. It would be the opposite of what he said. Think about what the opposite would be of not forgetting the Lord, of keeping his commandments, of not having a heart that's lifted up too high. You know what that means? It's to live in relationship with the Lord. That God has come to them and God has offered to them Himself, the Almighty, the one that has sustained them, the One that has delivered them, the One that has been with them every single step. God has offered to them Himself, and here they are. They have the opportunity. Will they will they indulge on Himself on God? Will they indulge on His goodness? Will they indulge on His power? Will they indulge on His might? Or or, or will they indulge on their flesh? That's the question of the text. That's the question. That's being asked here. That's what's up in the air. See, in, in the first 10 verses, the question was, is what will the trials reveal about your heart? What wh- Who you are? But the, the question of the last is, what will the prosperity of the promised land reveal about who you will be? About who you will be into the future. And so here he is. And, and the, he's saying, I offer you myself. I offer you myself as... I offer you myself in, in the fullness of who I am and I offer you myself and all that I have. I want to have a relationship with you. I want to bond with you. But don't let the prosperity of the promised land cause you to move on. I want you to see what the problem, he identifies the potential problem as being. Look at verses twelve through fourteen with me. He says this. He says, "Less when you have eaten and are full, and have built good houses and live in them, and when your your herds and flocks multiply, and your silver and gold is multiplied, and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart be lifted up, and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of slavery. Do you hear know what his concern is?" His concern is not that they would be content, that they would be discontent. His concern is is that they would be t- content with too little. They would be pleased with too little. And in other words, here's God offering them relationship with himself. Here's God offering them the opportunity to know him in a way that no other nation knows him. Here's God offering to them a relationship with the Almighty, with the Holy One, that they can enter into and be, be protected and provided for. And enter into that they can know the richness of his character and the depth of his love and the extent of his power and the hand of his sovereignty all over them, reigning with them, blessing them and prospering them. And he's afraid they're going to settle for dirt that's filled with copper. He's worried that they're going to live in a big house and think that the big house is the blessing. He's worried that they're going to have the money and the farms and and the retirement plans and the vacation homes and the place at the river and the and the camper that they've always wanted. He's worried that they're going to have the families that they had longed for and the and the solidarity that they had needed as a nation and the and the and the peacetimes that they had always wanted. That they're going to have that and they're going to say, "Well, this is all I really needed. This is all I really wanted. This is all I really longed for." And that. Having those things, those houses, and having the prosperity of that land, they won't even care that they don't have the Lord's presence among them. So this reminds me of one of my favorite quotes by C.S. Lewis. He says this, he says, If we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the gospel, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. Brothers and sisters, God has offered us a relationship with himself. He has offered us the opportunity to glimpse the Almighty, but so many of us are so busy staring at 65-inch televisions that we don't seem to care. God has offered us a seat in His palace and at His table to dine with His people and to come and to gather and to appreciate and magnify His glory, but we're stuck out in the, in the lobby making mud pies and eating them. You see, brothers and sisters, the... The question of this text that, that comes to bear is what part, how much of God are you satisfied with? How much of God are you satisfied with? In the vision for your life, is there any space for the glory of God? When I, if you were to have all the money that you need and you were to have the perfect health that you want and your family was just like you looked for and your marriage was just as satisfying as you hoped that it would be, would you still pray? Would you still pray? In other words, are you praying to God that you might get things? Or are you praying to God that you might know God? That you might have God? That you might walk with God? Or would you just be content having the house, the savings account, and the family? That is, is God for you a genie in a bottle that you can set up on the cupboard and wait until the next wilderness experience comes through? Have you moved on from the Lord? Have you moved on from the Lord? The second warning that we see is don't take credit for success. Don't take credit for success. Listen to what it says in verse 27. It says, beware lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. Man, if there has ever been an American verse in all the Bible, this is the one, because what is he saying? He's saying, I am a self-made Man. I have built my business. I have built my life. I have done all the things that I could do. I have shown how tough I am. I have proven how savvy I am. I have revealed how adaptable I am. I have built my life in such a way that all the other people are are impressed by me. I have built my business in such a way that all the other people want to be like me. All of my employees wish they had what I have. All of my competitors wish they could be what I am. All of them see because I have built my life, my way, and my life is impressive. That prosperity, prosperity not makes us forget God often, often, often by causing us to think of ourselves. See, to take credit is to actively forget God. To take credit is to actively forget God. It's to, to say that I don't need the Lord. I don't want the Lord. I don't have to desire the Lord because I have what I need in myself. I am self-sufficient. It is my power. It is the might of my hand that has gotten me this wealth. See, the problem is, is in, the, in, in success and in prosperity, we don't just forget who the Lord is. We forget who we are. We don't just forget who the Lord is. We forget Who we are. We forget that we are incapable. We forget that we are weak. You see, success, success can be like a hallucinogen that convinces you that you're something that you really aren't. That, That success can be a hallucinogen that convinces you that you are strong when you're really weak. That you are smart when you are really ignorant. That you are sovereign when you really control nothing at all. And it's like, a, like a, a man on a bad LSD trip who becomes convinced that he's Superman. That, that success can be dangerous if success can convince you that you can fly when you really can't fly. And so he begins to point out, so if we have up here, what we have is the delusion. Miss my L up here. The delusion. And so he comes down here and you know what he says? He says, well, let me share with you some reality." Let me share with you some reality. Then your hearts be lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Who led you through the great and terrifying wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there was no water. Who brought you out of the water out of the flinty rock. Who fed you in the wilderness with manna that your fathers did not know that he might humble you and touch you and do you good in the end. He says, let me me bring reality into the potential delusion that you might have if you allow success to take over your mind and take over your heart and take over your life. See, this is what we do. This is what we do. We, We... we're in the midst of the wilderness, we're in the midst of the trial and our health is bad and we become desperate and we plead with God and we plead with God. Oh God, remove this thorn from my flesh. Oh God, won't you help me? Oh God, won't you make me well? Oh God, won't you let me feel better? Oh God, won't you let me be a grandmother or a husband or, or a mom or a wife? God, won't you, won't you let me feel better so that I can do all the things that I believe that you set, set in front of me? Or, or we say, God, God my marriage stinks. It stinks. God, I I want my marriage to be a place of of significance and joy. I want it to be a source of, of confidence and security in my life. I want it to be a place of hope. Or God, God, I want, a, I want a child or I want a husband. I want a marriage or, or God, I, I want you, I plead with you, oh God, that you would let my business actually make it and actually take off or, or that, that I might be able to have a, a higher pay threshold because Lord, I just can't make it. And we're in the wilderness and we're desperate and we're longing. And then all of a sudden, all of a sudden, there's a breakthrough. There's a breakthrough. And God allows your health to improve. And God allows you to take a deep breath for the first time in a long time. And, and all of a sudden, your, your marriage gets healthier. And all of a sudden, it, it, it may not be perfect, but, but man, now you kind of look forward to going to home. When before, you would just stay at work as long as you could. All of a sudden, there's a little baby, and you're holding him or her in your arms, and you're singing it at night. And you're just struck by finally, finally, finally. And you know what the temptation is? Though we were desperate in the wilderness, the temptation is for us to take credit in the promised land. And for us to be, begin to look back over that hard season and say, man, look how tough I am. Look how strong I am. Look how adaptable I am. Look at what I was able to overcome. Look at what I was able to build in my life. Look at how how able I am, how tough I am, how smart I am, how savvy I am. Look how great I am. And God is coming and he is saying, no, 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 no. You can't even be who you're intended to be until you realize who you're not. And you did not deliver yourself from Egypt. You did not allow yourself and lead yourself through the, through the wilderness and the fiery serpents. You did not pour water out of a rock so that you would have something to drink you did not rain bread down from heaven so that you would have food to eat this wasn't about you this isn't anything about you this is about the glory of the Lord and the providence of the Lord and the provision of the Lord and the might of the Lord and the goodness of the Lord you see in the lives of sinners the gospel begins with self-awareness in the lives of sinners the gospel begins with self-awareness it begins with an awareness of what you're not, that you aren't strong when you think you're strong, that you are not able when you believe that you're able, that you can't when you believe that you can, that you aren't good when you believe that you're good, that you are incorruptible when you believe that you are incorruptible, that you are invincible and imperishable when you believe that you are invincible and imperishable. See, this is the difference between look at what I've done and look at what God has given. It's the difference of perspective in your life And if you have the perspective in your life of look what I've done, then what you have is look what I get to keep. But if you have the perspective of look at what God has given, then God has, you have the realization that God has given to you that God might give through you. That what you have is not actually yours. That what you have is, you are not actually entitled to. That what you have you, are not, you don't actually deserve. That what you have in the promised land, any success that you enjoy, any prosperity that you taste is all as a result of the kindness and the goodness of God in your life, giving it over to you. So if you want to know, if you want to know how much credit you're taking for your life, look at what you're, how you're using the success that you have. Look at what you're, how you're using the success that you've enjoyed. Are you using the success that you've enjoyed to advance God's kingdom, to show compassion to other people? to to support kingdom work all around? Are you taking the child that God has brought into your home and are you honestly, honestly, not offering that child up to the gods of T-ball and scholarships and higher education, but are you offering up that child to the king of kings and the Lord of lords who sits reigning over the throne? Are you saying, God, I will train this child in the way that he will go and so that he may not depart from it when he is old because it is your child, not mine. It is for your kingdom, not mine. Are you taking the money that you have and the health that you have and the energy that you have and the the time that you have and the resources that you have and are you investing them in the kingdom or or, or, or are you saying let me hoard all that I have because I earned this. Because I made this. Because I longed for this. Look at your life right now. Look at your life right now. Can you honestly say that you're not taking the credit? Can you honestly say that you're not taking the credit? That brings us to the final warning that we give and it is don't live for what isn't secure. Don't live for what isn't secure. He says in verse 18, there's, a, there's really a contrast here at the end of the passage between verses 18 and 19. Verse 18 is the way it ought to be. Verse 19 is the way he fears it might be. And so, so it's a, verse 19 is a warning. Verse 18 is an exhortation. Do this, be like this, remember the Lord. All right, so he says, you shall remember the Lord your God For it is he who gives you power to get wealth, that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers as it is this day. Now, when he's talking about confirming the covenant, what's he talking about? He's talking about the security of the children of Israel in the promised land. He's saying, if you you don't just want to come into the promised land, but you want to remain in the promised land. You want to enjoy the promised land. You want to savor the promised land then you need to remember the Lord. Because the intent of the promised land is not to give you your heart all the things that your heart ever wanted. The intent of the promised land is to confirm in your heart that you have a relationship, a special relationship, a love relationship with the God of the universe. It's to confirm in you that you have a relationship with God that is intended that you might be a blessing to all other nations. In fact if you look through verses 10 through 11 through 20 what you'll see is that six different times he refers to himself as what the Lord your God the Lord your God he does it here in verse 19 the Lord your God now what is that that's is the covenant name of God It is the the name that that evidences the relationship that Israel has with the Lord. And he says, so so remember the Lord. Live and enjoy the promised land. Remember the Lord that that the covenant might be confirmed in you. That that the good fruit might sprout. That that you might walk in my statutes. That your hearts might be humbled before me. That you might know the fullness of all that I offer to you. And then? If you forget the Lord your God and go after the other gods and serve them and worship them, I solemnly warn you that you shall surely perish. What is that? That is insecurity, isn't it? that if you go after all the prosperity and you live for the money that's in your pocket and you live for the business empire that you can build and you live for how great you can make your own name as a nation in the promised land, then what you need to understand is that you will not enjoy the fullness of a relationship with me. You will not enjoy security in the promised land. You will not enjoy my provision. You will not enjoy my protection, but instead you shall surely die. You shall surely be removed and you shall surely be shown how insecure, where all the treasures of this world actually are. Now, why is it, why is it that they would go after other gods? Why is it after God had delivered them from Egypt and he had provided for them in the wilderness and he had brought them into the promised land, why is it that over the whole of Israel's history they are always so tempted to go after Baal and all of the other gods? You want to know the answer? It's money. It's money is they would look out at these other nations and they would see a prosperity that they wanted. They they would look out and they would hear and what they would desire is, let me appease the fertilization God, that he might bring my crops, that I might make more money, that I might have more security in this world, that I might have more things that I long for, more things that I want. And they would trade. They would trade a special relationship with God himself for a few more dollars that they could have in their pockets. Jesus in Luke chapter 12 tells a story of a CEO who does that. He tells the story of a CEO in Luke chapter 12, and the man has fertile ground, and his crops come in, and these crops are astoundingly productive. And so this man says to himself, self, what I need to do is I need to build greater barns, and I need to build bigger facilities, and I need to increase production. And and he builds the barns, and he increases production, and he makes more and more and more money. And he comes to the end, and he looks out over his vast farm, and he says, finally, I have arrived. Finally, I have arrived. Finally, I can sit back, eat, drink, and be merry. I can do all the things that make my heart glad. And Jesus says it is on that day that God says that his soul is is required of him. And he is called into eternity where he discovers that that the security that he saw in this world was actually filled with insecure treasures. You see, you come to the end of your life You come to the end of your life, you can have all the money that you want. Everybody can be at your funeral and they can talk about how, how successful you were and how much you, how much you realized all of your potential. They can talk about how you help people in the community. They can talk about how you maximize the minute of every day. And still, still at the end of your life, you can perish having lived for insecure things. And by the accounting of Jesus, by the accounting of Jesus, your life can be deemed a waste. This morning this morning In the prosperity that god has given to you and the gifts that he has brought into your life what is it actually revealing in your heart are you wasting your life or have you offered it wholly over to the lord let's pray to the lord together now thank you for watching or listening to one of our sermons we would love to have the opportunity to connect with you one-on-one we are not a perfect church, but we are a joyful church, and we want to help you increase your joy in Christ. We would love for you to come and worship with us one day soon. You'll be able to find information about our worship services, about who we are, what we believe, what we do, and what we're hoping to accomplish on our website at ironcity.org. And We would invite you to go and to check out all the information there. We look forward to seeing you soon.